Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So we come now to week eight in the Jesus Storybook Bible, week eight of 14. So welcome to 12 Stone at the campuses and our online community and, and 12 Stone home. And by the way, this past week I was texting with a, a friend, uh, Steve O'Dell, uh, he and his wife, and they, they were one of the four couples who helped plant 12 Stone over 30 years ago. And they're in Michigan now, Salem, Michigan, and, and they're, they're part of building a 12 Stone home group there, which is incredibly super awesome. As we were texting, he told me about a gal named uh, Grace Greaves who was in his group, and he was questioning her discernment because she likes my teaching. And so um, I'm, we're going to encourage her. In the north, you say hi, but in the south, you say hey. And we're from the south, and so across all the U.S., whoever's listening, joining with us, we're all together. Everyone, everywhere is going to say, hey, Grace. You got it? Right here, Sugarloaf, loud and proud. All the campuses everywhere. On the count of three, hey, Grace, with some southern charm. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, Grace. There you go. So glad we get to gather together. We're jumping into the story of Joseph. It's in Genesis 37 to 50, so we got a lot to cover. And before we can even really get into the story, I want you to know where it's going to end. And here's why. Because in the middle, it's full of suffering and loss. You don't want to get stuck in suffering and loss. So let me just tell you where it's going to end. And Romans 8.28 describes it for us. And we know that in all things, that means all circumstances, in the midst of all decisions that anyone makes that impacts our lives, including our own, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Here's what you know. When God reaches out to you, the love of God, and you respond to the love of God through Jesus, and you become a part of the kingdom of God, you're restored to him, a son or daughter of the living God. It doesn't matter circumstances, though you will go through suffering and loss. In the midst of that, you give God his time and his sorrow Sovereign hand will prove over time that he can work all things for good, even in the midst of suffering and loss. Who is like our God? Come on now. Our God deserves the yay gods that go with that. However, 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 that suffering and loss thing, oh, we get stuck in it. Don't get stuck in it. We do. Don't. And, and Joseph experienced it. Now, Joseph in his 30s and 40s was the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt. He had people bowing down to him. If he had Instagram, he would have been more popular than Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, with his 300 million followers. He would have been on Forbes, uh, top of the list of most powerful people in their magazine. I mean, you would have, Joseph had it all. He had power and influence. He was feared. He had wealth beyond measure. 
but you would see inside being married to the right woman with the right influence and two sons of stature that something had been very difficult. And you'll see it in the way he named his kids. In Genesis 41, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it's because God has made me forget my trouble and all my fathers and his father was Jacob. You remember from last week, my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Listen, everybody pay attention. The man who is the second most powerful in the most powerful nation, the man who has it all, names his two children after his suffering. After his what, everybody? After his suffering. So there's been so much suffering and loss in his life that he names his kid. Yes, one is forget suffering and, and one is fruitful in the midst of suffering, but all in the midst of suffering. See, his first 17 years was awesome under Jacob. And as a favored son of Jacob, oh, his life is going to be amazing. And God gives him a vision. But the next 13 years from 17 to 30 were horrific suffering. It's when he probably asked, has God forgotten me? It's, let's put the question up there. I, th I think we asked that. Has God forgotten me? When we're in the midst of suffering and losses, has God? <sighs> Seems like it. In fact, when you've gone through seasons of suffering or loss, maybe you've asked the same question. I certainly have. And who of us have escaped suffering and loss even in the last couple of years, the pandemic season? I mean, just for a moment, Tallstone Home, online, live campus. How many of you just say somewhere along the line, you have experienced suffering or loss in the last couple of years, whether it's business-related, plans that have been lost, financial setback, messed up your plan for retirement, your plans for marriage, or maybe your plan for a wedding, maybe your school plans, you've taken loss, people you've loved have passed away and it's been horrific, on and on. How many of you, any loss or suffering at all in the last two years? Just hands up. Just if it's, if it's true of you. It's my hands up. In fact, I wrote something that this I want to say so specific, it's rare, but I'm going to read it because I want you to hear it. It's specific, it's layered, and it's part of what I sense God wants addressed today. For some of you, it's going to be helpful. For some of you, it's dead on bullseye to what the Spirit of God wants to help you break through. And it needs to be heard in a specific way. So just let me read it. Yes, we're coming out of the pandemic, but with losses. A health crisis with the heartache of funerals. A work crisis. Some calling it the great resignation as people quit jobs and express frustration amidst changes and loss. A mental health crisis, which if you're paying attention, is going on across this country, unlike any other season of time that we have known, at least in my lifetime, of underlying anxiety and anger and depression. A relationship crisis of loneliness and divisiveness, even among friends, family, co-workers, and co-worshippers. A faith crisis. On the radio this week, I heard a host say, in the wake of 9-11, people filled churches. In the wake of the pandemic, people empty churches. 
And then he added, and the growing mental health crisis and relationship crisis proves that you need to get back to church. You and your kids need it more than you know. An education crisis, a growing battle as the extremists are the loudest on social media, but common sense people are tired of having things like their kids' education destroyed. And as the example of San Francisco after the recent school board recalls when the mayor said the city school board failed its children by focusing on politics. Listen, whatever your experience, most of us carry some loss from this season. Some of us may hold it close to our chest, but it's hard to get through this pandemic without loss. Now, you might say, well, PK, if we're getting past the pandemic, why are you talking about it? I'm glad you've asked. <laughs> to be blunt, I think something has quietly crept in and is making a home in our souls. Keep listening. My own confession is I noticed it first because it was happening in me. This thing silently kills like cancer. And it's one word, resentment. Just say the word with me. What is it? Resentment. I haven't worked this all out, but I think it's possible that the quiet and concerning fallout of the pandemic is an underlying and sometimes unnoticed self-justifying resentment. This suffering and loss piling on can make you thin on emotional margin and angry just below the surface. Pay attention. It's a problem because resentment fuels mental health issues from anxiety to depression to trauma disorders to sleeping disorders to eating disorders to abusing alcohol or drugs. It fosters a mindset of victimhood. It furthers relational divisiveness. It undermines life at home, work, school, community, and faith. It feeds blind narcissism that has this kind of thinking. Well, since my mobile device lets me build the world to my liking around me, shouldn't everyone just adjust to me? <sighs> and if they don't, I'll disassociate it and do life on my terms. What if I'm almost done with just this part? What if, what if we're not becoming better lovers of one another after this pandemic? nor better lovers of God, but simply better lovers of self and blindly unaware of it. What if we are living in resentment toward others, whether an employer, friend, co-worshipper, family member, whomever would not agree with us? So back to Joseph. Of all the things that he conquered, listen, perhaps the greatest was that he conquered resentment. He conquered what? Resentment. And, and if you have the courage, we'll spend the next 25 minutes covering the question, has God forgotten me? And then maybe wrap it up with how to conquer resentment. All of this from the life of Joseph. All right. I, I wanted you to hear that so that when we jump into his life, you know where we're going and where it ends. Let's get to his story. To the Jesus Storybook Bible, the forgiving prince, Joseph and his brothers, from the latter part, the last half, the, almost of the book of Genesis. Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all colors of the rainbow, but it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. 
I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king, Joseph told his brothers. And all of you bowed down to me. And so if you didn't know, at the age of 17, God gave them these, these, these visions and they were clearly from God. He, it goes on. Now I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that isn't a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and take away his dreams. And one day, that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. Oh, and they went back and told his dad a lie. Jacob thought his son was dead. And Joseph thought, has God forgotten me? Because when you go through suffering and loss, that's the question. I just got to say off the top, God had not forgotten Joseph any more than he's forgotten you. What if what God was really doing is forming Joseph? He hadn't forgotten him. He was forming him. What if God hasn't forgotten you, but he's forming you? He will use circumstances to form you into his image. Because to win in life, there are things that you have to win. I think God was growing up Joseph. And there were things that Joseph had to win. Around here, because we're in the life of Joseph, we would place those four things you have to win around a diamond because it's memorable and easy to access and it gives you a sense of the order. And so the things God tries to help us win to win in life that matter most are to home plate, win dependence, first base, win within, second base, win with others, and third base, win results. And so just for a moment, let's say all those together. Wherever you are, let's say these together. I'll just pause and we'll read each one. The home, home plate is to win what? Dependence. Say it with me so there's a little bit of fire. You're joining me in it, okay? I'll slow down for you. Home plate is win what? Dependence. First base is win what? Within. Second base is win with others. Third base, win results. You bring it all back home. What if this is really the story of what God was forming in Joseph and what he's forming in you? And the very first thing is to win dependence. Huh. Let's go to the scripture. Take us into the story. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the, officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Isn't this bizarre? Joseph said huge suffering and loss. And it says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And Joseph's in suffering and God had not forgotten him. Pay attention. You get this dream and God's going to fulfill this amazing dream that he has for your life and he stirs things in you and you dream of great things and, and Joseph does and, and then the next thing that happens is, is he's thrown into a pit and, 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 and sold into slavery and, and all loss and suffering. What on earth is God doing? And hang on, what if, and by the way, what if in suffering God's going to do this for you? What if he was forming dependence in Joseph? Well, think about it that way. 
Maybe Joseph thought God was going to make him great, but that would be misunderstanding life. Only God is great. And your greatness is not because of your greatness. It's because of the goodness of God. And anything great in your life should just reflect the glory of God. And we don't do dependence naturally in our sinful fallen state. But we depend on God as a matter of fact, not as a matter merely of faith. Whether you practice it or not. Look at Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's not true because you believe it. That's true whether you believe it or not. You are dependent on the living God. Now the question is, do you know how to practice that dependence? And what if when God stirs you with a vision and a dream of a life you could have, what God is really first going to do, like he did with Joseph, is strip you of all the things you would have used to make it happen on your own strength. He stripped him of his family name, his richly ornamented coat, his influence and his affluence. Everything Joseph would have used. Jesus said this way in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branch. If a man or woman remain in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The dreams God has for you in life and the full life that he intends us to win comes about when we depend on him. In other words, he's the water faucet, we're the hose. When the hose is spewing out life-giving water, it's not the hose. (laughs) Just disconnect it from the faucet, and it can produce nothing. You were designed to be in the vine. And perhaps, as we would talk about it around here, the reason many people never grow up spiritually is because we don't know how we grow up. We only know how we grow up in a physical, material, relationship world on earth. We know... That when we have kids, they are born dependent. They are born what? Dependent. And we eventually want to grow them up to become what? In a course. Now, when they're born, we don't think of it that way. They're adorable. We love them. They're dependent. They, they, they need to feed them and, and, and change their diaper. And after you do that for a while, you're like, feed yourself. And you need to learn how to go to the bathroom. I'm not going to do this the rest of your life. I mean, I'll wipe for a season, but after a while, I'm just not doing that. What are you trying to do? Move them toward independence. Eventually, you want them to dress themselves and go to school and study on their own. God makes them so adorable when they're young, right? You can't imagine them leaving. And then he makes them teenagers, so you can't imagine them staying. That's a beautiful thing God does. So eventually, you want them to be independent. Go. You, you send them out of the house to college or job or something, but go. (laughs) That's why we have a vision of empty nester. Or as one of our friends say, you need to go back to college so I can begin to miss you. (laughs) You know why most people never grow up spiritually? Because it is the complete opposite of how you grow up in this world. You start out independent, spiritually independent from God, thinking you're your own person and you did all this. 
And the only way to grow spiritually is to move from independent to what? Dependent. And the most mature people, he is the vine, we are the branch. That's why getting in God's word, that's why a life of prayer, if you pick up the home run book where this got written years ago that we put out and trying to help us understand and why we have Saturday prayer time as a church and some of you come live and some online with that and, and, and why we're going to have the seven nights of prayer on Holy Week. First time we're going to do it before Easter felt like a prompt of God. All right, we're going to go after all this. Why? Because, because what God is doing is he is transforming us to get the life we were created for by helping us win dependence. So are you growing more dependent on God or less? Then win within. The next major slice of Joseph's life, God was helping him win within. Look at the scripture. Now Joseph was well built Almost, I, I used to read my name in this. <clears throat> now Joseph was well built and handsome. Anyhow, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, this is fascinating. He's, he's now 18, 19, 20, 21. He's now risen up and he's leading in Potiphar's home, but he's enslaved. I mean, this is a horrible life of suffering and loss. Father thinks he's dead. Everything, everything's gone bad. Nobody's coming to rescue him. And now he gets an indecent proposal. And, and what? He, he calls on God. He said, I'm going to do the right thing. In other words, God's teaching him, no matter, listen, no matter the sense of suffering and loss that you're in, do the right thing. Win within. See, we tend to think that, that the primary battles are around us when they're actually within us. When we come to faith in God and we pray, we think, oh, dear God, my life would be better if you would change everything around me. Change my spouse. You know what's wrong with them. I mean, you and I both agree. Could you please fix them? If you just fix my spouse, we'd have it better. Could you fix my kids and fix my family? Could you fix our church and fix the pastor and fix my small group? And Lord, could you fix my job and fix my boss and fix my coworkers? God, could you fix our country and fix the uh, D.C.? Okay, you probably can't do that. But, but God, what? you make your whole list. And then the Spirit of God whispers, listen, the first thing my power is designed to do is not change everything around you, but everything within you. The first evidence that you walk with God is not to have things change around you. It's to have things change within you. Moral character. Be holy as he is holy. Get Healthy, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, centered in God. Get so right with God at home plate that your identity is in Jesus, the God who created you. And he loves you and he's not forgotten you. So don't forget him. And let the stability of being knit in the God who created you. Thereby indwell you by his Holy Spirit. So that you have the wisdom of God. And you can walk in that wisdom. 
practice dependence to win within. Now hang on. And you can do the right thing and still be treated wrong. Just know this. Joseph did the right thing. Joseph said, I'm not going to sin against God nor, nor, nor Potiphar. And, and, and he refused the indecent proposal. And then she lied about it and told her husband that in fact Joseph did. And, he, and Joseph got thrown in prison. Have you, not all the time, but at least once in your life, have you ever done the right thing and got treated wrong? Come on now. Absolutely. Do the right thing anyway. Because that's what God's forming in you and that's what he can bless. Listen, do the right thing anyway. Students, you are living in a more pagan than Christian culture right now. Do the right thing anyway. And when you do, sometimes you'll do the right thing and you'll be treated wrong. That's okay. God's with you. He hasn't forgotten you. Stand with him. Maybe you're in business and it's pretty tough to do the right thing. And sometimes when you do, you get treated wrong. That's okay. That's okay. God's with you. He's not forgotten you. Don't forget him. This is what gives you a winning life. Church, we can do the right thing and be treated wrong. That's okay. God's with us. He hasn't forgotten. Do the right thing anyway. Because that's what God can bless. To help us win within and thereby win with others. Let's talk about that. Because as you move around it, <laughs> you begin to see this progression of God forming something in you. And I don't know what happened in Joseph's head or his heart, but go somewhere with me. Would you can, let's just go with me. Maybe this is where Joseph learned how to value people. Maybe it was right down here. Because he got thrown in prison. Years in prison. So he's in prison and before that Potiphar's home as a slave and maybe it was when he's wiping the floor and important people walk by and nobody notices him maybe it was then that it occurred to him I used to be important hmm. you know I, I we had servants as nomads and Jacobs what were their names again Maybe this is where the Spirit of God taught Joseph how he treated his brothers. Listen, it doesn't justify what his brothers did. But maybe this is where he figured out he was self-absorbed. And he didn't value people, he used people. There's nothing so humbling as to have God put you in the place of people you once dismissed. From the first to the fourth year of 12 stone, we had like 57 people on week two of the church. And all my efforts to grow it came to nothing. It took us four years to grow from 57 people on a weekend to 82. And I'm done. I just can't emotionally take it. I thought we'd start out as a church of hundreds of hundreds and all this vision God gave and it's nothing coming to nothing. I'm not discounting the value of those people. In fact, probably what was wrong is I did. 
And then God reminded me in the fourth year of the church when I'm like, I'm going to quit. And he's like, do you remember when you were 23 and you were pastoring a church with a friend? And I wasn't the senior pastor, but, and the church was growing. And then you did a conference of, for pastors of smaller churches, churches like 57 to 82. And how you told them all how easy it is to grow a church if they would just, remember how you did that? And now you are one. How easy is that? Well, there's nothing so humbling as to be put in the place of people you once dismissed. Maybe right now God has you in a humble place just to teach you how to value people. Not use people. Value people. Maybe you don't get to get up from where he has you until you grow up into what it means to be like him. And maybe you're trying to escape the suffering and he's trying to form you in it. Maybe this is why even into the New Testament, it teaches us scriptures like this. What's the first and greatest command quoted again by Christ from the Old Testament and still true in the the gospel? The first and greatest command. Yeah, let's jump back and go to the uh, diamond. Home plate, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, win dependence. Love God. That's the first and greatest. That's never changed. And what's the second? Love your neighbor, second base, as yourself first. Maybe it really is as simple as this. Love God. Love yourself rightly. Now that God loves you, love others Love what you do, third base, and then bring it home. Do all for the glory of God. Maybe it's that biblically simple. So let's talk about win results. So Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. Seven cows that were fat and awesome and seven cows that were gaunt and the seven gaunt cows ate the seven fat cows and it made no sense and nobody could interpret it and then the cupbearer says oh I know someone who can and Hebrew Joseph from prison and Joseph's brought up to Pharaoh and he says only God can interpret visions and he does he interprets it, it says it's going to be seven years a famine, or seven years of feast, followed by seven years of famine, and Pharaoh would be wise to appoint someone to lead this. In seven years of feast, save back as much food as possible so that in the seven years of famine, we are not destroyed. Here's Pharaoh's response. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. That's a very good day. And he didn't make it happen. God did. Amazing results followed. And the the story doesn't end there, but I can tell you this. God taught me this view of life, the things to win that we're describing. 
between the age of 25 and 35 and all that was going on here. And, and I think I have a sense of why. And probably saved my life and the dreams he put at least in me for marriage and family and kids and future in his kingdom. Because I am a naturally third base running person, meaning I tend to chase success. I wake up in the morning, get stuff done. I am not naturally wake up in the morning, depend on God and do life by God's design. I inherently, intuitively, just personality and nature, I tend to chase third base. And because of that, as God began to reveal, if you run to third base first, first of all, you're thrown out. That's not how the game works. But you will tend to cheat all the other bases. You will tend to cheat the time it takes to build a marriage and a family. And then wonder years later, how come it doesn't work? You will tend to cheat and shortcut character just to get ahead. You'll tend to cheat and not have time for God and your faith and prayer and worship. And you will unknowingly unravel the very dreams that God put in you if you don't know what to win and in what order. God was forming himself. He hadn't forgotten Joseph. He was forming Joseph so the dream could be fulfilled. And what happened? Ten brothers come during the time of famine. And who do they kneel before in order to get food? <laughs> Joseph. Can you imagine? I mean, I wish we had more time. He blew Joseph's mind. Like, dude, I told you. <laughs> oh my gracious. In all things, God works together for good. For the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Joseph didn't make that happen. God made that happen. Blows your mind. He's reunited with his family, with his father. Moved all the tribes there so that they had food. He was rescuing them. Joseph had one dependence and one within, one with others. Win results, all for the glory of God. And then he had to conquer resentment. What? Conquer what? How many of you would be resentful if you were Joseph? And your brothers had sold you and did all that to you. Come on, hands. And then you had all the power. They're right there. What shall I do? I got so many ideas. I'll do different things to different ones. <laughs> Here's my resentment to you. You. Oh, you. After his father died, his brothers were so afraid. They came to him and said, we are your slaves. And here's what Joseph said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Pause. Resentment and revenge is a very dangerous thing because it puts you in the place of God. It's a deeper thought than we have time for. You intend to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Wow, Romans 8, 28, before the New Testament ever showed up. <laughs> to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Does that, am I the only, does that blow your mind? 
you want to see how this plays out in the New Testament, it looks like this. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all what, everybody? Bitterness, resentment, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice inserted even during and after a pandemic is what the Greek says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, just as, just as, if you're not sure how, just as in Christ God forgave you. How do you release resentment? You forgive as he forgave you. And I'm not sure that we're aware how much resentment sits under the surface. Maybe that is, maybe that is not your issue, but a final thought and then we'll pray. How do you release resentment? Perhaps the best advice I've ever gotten is from John Maxwell on this issue a couple decades ago when I was crashing and I saw no future because my dreams had died. And honestly, I was resentful toward God, which I know doesn't work. So I had written my resignation to 12 stone. So I'm like, you can't pastor and be resentful toward God. I can see that wouldn't work. And he said, man, you just need to have a funeral and get a new dream. Have a funeral, get a new dream. He doesn't mean have a funeral like what we go through when someone we love dies. That's horrific. What he does mean, though, is that the process of death and loss is the same. You go through the same stages of grief when a dream dies and you suffer and you take on loss. You go through denial, you go through anger, you go through bargaining, and a bunch of us bargain with God and make bargains with God God never made. And then when God doesn't fulfill them, we're resentful toward God because he doesn't keep his promises, but he never made those. We hit depression. It's so broken in our world until you get to acceptance, which is really saying, you know what? I have a funeral. It died. God, would you help me bury this? Because that died during this season of suffering and loss. It'd take a whole nother message to talk about the cost of resentment and what it means to bury it. But I think God would leave you with this. Have a funeral. And get a new dream. Which means if you don't learn how to get a new dream. As John was saying to me, Kevin, that way you viewed your future is now dead and gone. You're going to have to call it what it is, dead. Bury that, give that over to God and say, God, would you give me a new dream? Since you are the God who raises things to life, raises things to life, would you give me a new dream? Would you help me see the future differently? Would you breathe new life into me? As I turn the service over to the campus, pastors, listen, we want to have a prayer over you. Maybe you have to bury some resentment. Maybe there is suffering and loss that just needs to be buried. And your prayer is, dear God, would you help me have a funeral? And then, God, would you be so kind as to give me a new dream? 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.